Actually, you're the one, you've, got, you're the one with the portable microphone, so let me stand here. Okay. Um, Angie and David moved into the area some six months or so ago, and um, I soon after went to visit and listened and realised that there'd been a book written about some of Angie's life story. It's called Under the Influence. And... Um, Having eventually read it, we felt it was appropriate to give Angie opportunity to share something of her testimony. Now, there's a lot of it, um, so quite what she's going to say, we're not quite know. sure yet. <laughs> not even Angie's sure yet. So let's pray for wisdom for Angie. Um, I wonder if you might just hold out a hand in blessing on Angie, Thank you. Um, and we'll pray for her. Father, we thank you for the way that you have been with Angie, that you have revealed yourself to her, that you have taught her so much over the years. We ask this morning that you would speak clearly through her. Thank you, Jesus. That you would honour her courage in telling of some of her past. Grant her your peace, we pray. And for us, we ask that you would help us to listen wisely, to respond appropriately. Lord, have mercy, we ask. Thank you, Amen. Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Hello. I'll admit to being very nervous. I've done my testimony thousands and thousands of times, and I'm always the same. <laughs> But I just hope that that means that God's here and I'm not, because you're not going to be blessed if it's me, I tell you. Because me on my own, I've just messed my whole life up. <laughs> um, I, I was an absolute mess without Jesus. And I tell you, you won't get from personally from Angie Taylor one word of wisdom. <laughs> but from my Jesus, you will get everything. Now, I don't know if, you've, if anyone's read the book. If you have, then you're in for a very, very boring mooring because I've only got one testimony and I can't alter it. <laughs> and I don't want to. I was asking the Lord last night, how should I start this? And he said to me, start with your favorite scripture that I gave you when you found me. And it comes from Hosea, and it's based 26 years in ministry with myself and my husband into broken families, into children coming home again, into marriages being healed, into walks with the cross. I walk with a big cross. That's, that's what I've done for years. I think I must have walked about 10,000 miles now. Done John O'Groats to Land's End. Um, we've walked um, the Ukraine, Ireland through, the, through, through some of the bad times. Um, well, it just goes on. <laughs> um, the John O'Groats to Land's End for families saw four th over 4,000 divorced couples remarried. That's how the book got written. I didn't write it. I've never read it. I know the ending. I know the beginning. I know the middle. <laughs> and I did have to go through it. But just so that you would know, all the proof of what I say lies with Premier Christian Radio, who wrote this, and with Harper Collins. Everything had to be gathered, all the documents, all the proof of what I say before they could put it in writing. You're free to check. Okay. Um, now I will read my, my scripture. It comes from Hosea, and it's Hosea 2. 
Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness, and I will speak comfortably to her. I can't tell you the state I was in when I first read this. I think you'll begin to understand when I tell you my testimony. But these words spoke to me like, I just can't tell you. And I will give her her vineyards from thence, and the valley of Achor is a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of Egypt. And I haven't got time to go through it, but in Joshua 7, the valley of Achor was where a man called Achan, who had caused the battle um, to be lost as... as, um, Joshua went down to take Ai. He, um, he stole some things that he wasn't meant to steal. And him and his whole family were taken to the Valley of Achor. All his animals, all his, his wife, his children, him. And they were stoned until there was nothing left. They were pummeled. Then they were set fire to. And I thought, of all the places in the world for God to put the door of hope, he could have put it where he rose up outside the tomb. He could have put it where he walked on water. He could have put it... Why did he put it there? I'll tell you. He put it on top of the most broken family you could ever find. And that set the ministry. You can't have a door without a reason. A door is to open and go through and leave something behind. And when you get the other side of the door, you're in a new place. Yes, Jesus is the door. The door of hope lies on top of the most broken family you could ever imagine. And that set our ministry. Because I knew that's what God had done for me. Testimony. Um, I'm not an educated person and I'm not a gifted speaker. I leave that to my husband, who's brilliant. But I'm very proud of my Jesus, very in love with my Jesus, and very, very grateful for what he's done to me. Listen, I know that there'll be people here that have got problems, people here that are hurting over things, people here may be struggling with families, people here struggling with, with lots of different things, sorrow, sadness, pain, loneliness... We don't escape these things in this life. But Jesus and his word and the door of hope gives us something to go through and a reason to carry on and an answer to our problems. I'm one of five children. Um, I didn't go to school. I was brought up really Irish family, but my parents were Irish Catholic and spiritualist, so it was a bit of a mixture. Um, So I was actually brought up in a lot of fear. Um, because it was ruled by fear. Um, my sister was on Valium by the time she was 11. You know, um, our whole family's fear. My, one of my sisters has died of alcoholism. Um, I've got two brothers that are alcoholics. And um, a sister is still on tablets, you know. Um, I, I got married very young. I got married when I was 17. Um, I think I married really to get away from home. If I'm honest, now, I look back at it. It wasn't all Mills and Boone. It was, I wanted to get out. Um, I had five children. I had them in quite quick succession because two of my children were born and died within an hour. I had a little boy called Aaron with Down syndrome who died at three months. And I was left with 
Shay and Benita, my son and my daughter. But when my marriage broke up, um, I found all the fear that I'd had when I was younger came back and I became very agoraphobic. And that's when I'm trying to cut a long story short, I started to drink. I didn't drink as a drunken teenager. I drank because I found a way of not being afraid for a little while. And I think this happens to a lot. What do they call you, a lace curtain drinker? A sherry going to bed. That's how it started. But then it didn't work. It was two sherries, three sherries, four sherries. I tell you what, in the end, I was putting the sherry in a medicine bottle to give myself permission to have it. This is alcoholic thinking. And I'd walk down the road and I'd think, if I can get to the next lamppost, then I can, get a, I can have a drink and I'd reward myself. Until in the end, I was drinking so much. I wasn't afraid, but I didn't remember I'd ever been afraid. This was not good for my children. It went from there... This was in the 70s. It went from there to me meeting somebody. He was, a, he was a heroin addict, a registered heroin addict. And I was, I was an alcoholic. I actually stopped drinking, but I found that I could help my fear by taking his fisceptone linctus. Fisceptone linctus is a substitution heroin. And for about a year, I, I stayed unafraid on that. But then that wasn't enough. It's like a cancer. It's like a, I can't explain it to you, the fear and combating it all the time. If only I'd known then that my Jesus would have helped me with my fear. But I didn't know. I really didn't know that he would help. It's why I'm passionate about sharing my story. I didn't, you don't have to go, people don't have to go down that road. There's help there. And within a year, I was a registered heroin addict myself, injecting myself, mainlining. I got arrested. My house was raided. I mean, I had gone from being this quiet person to somebody who was robbing jewellers and going up to Hatton Garden and selling the stuff. Anything for the next fix. My children, my children were suffering. I am so ashamed even now. Even though Jesus, I've got... Even though he says to me, you're no more in condemnation. If I'm no, I haven't got a past if I'm a new creation. But there are times when that crushing guilt can come in. I have to have a wrangle with the devil when that happens. But look what he's done. Beauty from ashes. How could, he, how could he have done this with my life? What a mess. What a sinner. What a hopeless, horrible person I was. Look what he... He didn't look at me like some people in the streets looked at me. He didn't look at me and say, look at the state of that. When he found me, he said, look, there's hope there. That's what my Jesus said. More than some humans would have said. And he lifted me up and he raised me up and look at me today. He's the only one that's got it right. He's the only one that knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I, um, I got arrested, they raided my flat. And I was sentenced to two years in Holloway Prison, which I had to serve, obviously. <laughs> 
And um, I served that. I could tell you millions of stories about just being in there, but this, I can't, it's no time. All of this has come in useful for my testimony. All of this God has used to be build grace and help me to talk to people. My, my testimony is very raw, but I won't hold back. The reason I won't hold back is because Jesus didn't hold back with me. He picked me up filthy, and I will tell you he did. Because that's what he did, and I can't give him credit if I don't do that. If I'm not honest, I can't tell you the miracle he worked. And um, two weeks before I was to be released, I was sent to a place called Cane Hill at Coolston, which is a mental institution. I was meant to go there just for the two weeks, um, really to make me a person fit to come out and live with you. A bit of counselling and a bit of, you know... But I was there for six years. Once you go into a locked ward, nobody comes to find out anything about you. During my time there, I was raped. I was stabbed 22 times and nearly died. I still got all the scars, obviously. When I said all of this can be proved, it can. All the documents had to be found for the book. Eventually, I got out of there a bitter, angry, angry human being. I hadn't seen my children. My children had gone to my mother. Now they're being brought up as spiritualists. They're in a house with alcoholisms. And can you see what's happening? The whole thing is going round in a huge circle again. I got a little flat. But it wasn't long before poor me, poor me, poor me, another drink happened. I felt very sorry for myself. I couldn't see my children. I used to steal glances of them, but I wasn't really allowed. And then I lost my flat, and I was living on the streets for a very long time. It became so when you... That was when I became a prostitute. It's so hard to say now. I love my Jesus so much... Then even muttering the words is a shame. But it's the truth. And I can't do him credit without the truth. But you see, living on the streets when you can't wash and you can't brush your hair and you haven't got a change of clothes, it wasn't long before I couldn't even be a prostitute anymore. Because no one would even pay a canalaga for me. And I was down to stealing. Then one day I walked into the Sally Army. I only went there because I knew that I was safe. I knew they'd leave me alone. I knew they'd recognise the look in my eye that said, don't you dare come near me. They did leave me alone. And I got a cup of tea and I went out. I remember I was shaking so much, I only had a drop left when I got outside. But I stole a book on the way. Because I could. But what I'd stolen was a book of common prayer. Mm. I looked at this book and I thought, oh no. I picked it up, I threw it away. I, ju- I threw it, it just flew. But out of this book fell a piece of paper and my whole world changed. 
my whole world, this drunken whore sitting on a bench with the DTs that couldn't even be a prostitute anymore. And it was one piece of paper. I bent down to pick that piece of paper up, I turned it over and it was just a black and white picture of the Lord's face. And he was, it was a crucifixion, he was looking down, there was blood running down his face. And I thought, I remember sitting there for ages and I remember thinking, blimey, he looks worse than I feel. I realised later that that was my first compassion for someone else for some time. It was the beginning of my healing. I sat there for ages and then I thought somebody spoke to me. I don't care if no one believes me. I was there and they weren't. And look at me standing here today so I know it was true. (laughs) This voice said to me, Angie, if you drink again, you're going to make him cry. And I remember saying, that's not fair. I guess I must have believed it. I got up, I, I walked off. I still had my old clothes on, I still had flip-flops, I still stunk. But I had a picture in my pocket. And it was him and me. I didn't drink. I nearly did. Every time I felt like a drink, I got the picture out and said, I'm going to make you cry in a minute, mate. You've got to help. You better help. I ain't no fancy prayers. He had to put up with Jim Reeves' songs changed about. He, he, that, that was me. I love you because you understand, Lord. Every little, he, was, he was probably really glad when I joined the vineyard. But it was just a day-by-day walk. Him and me, day by day. But within a few months, I had got a little flat. It's like I looked different. I was going into places and people were listening to me. And it wasn't as if they were saying waste of space. Were they seeing him? I think so. There was something different about me. I got a flat. I went on a word processing course. And within a few months, I was working at a place called Distillers, which I thought was very funny. And... And within three months of that, I was secretary to the managing director. How about that? From there to there. How about that? My prayer all the time was, Lord, please, please send my children home. Please, Lord, what do I have to do? Valley of Acor, Dora, Hope, Broken Family. Please, Jesus, can I go through that door? Please, even if I only had one chance to say, I am so sorry. If you just give me one minute to hold them and say, Jesus, Shay, Bonnie, please, I really love you. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry I failed you. Please. I worked and stayed and I didn't join a church. I don't know if God was protecting you from me or me from you. (laughs) Bit of both, I think. I've realised since that actually I was prejudiced. I thought you'd have an opinion about me. So I had an opinion about you and I didn't come. <laughs> then the Lord said to me, I want you, I want you to just put your keys. I've done this place up. It looked like something out of Bar- Barbara Cartland because every time I wanted a drink, I bought something else for the flat. And it was all peach satin and nets and like this great big meringue and it's and he said to me I want you to put your keys through the door and go 
Now, it was just him and me. I knew nothing about the gifts of the Spirit. I didn't know what they were called. But I did have a relationship with him. When I joined a church, I found out there was names for those things. I was like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you are, how isolated you are. The whole, you're, not, you're not beyond the reach of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and him leading you on. Don't matter if you're paralyzed in a bed on a desert island with nobody else there. He can still get to you. And I guess in a way I was. <laughs> but he... Um, I did that. I put the keys through the door. I had found two relatives that hadn't spoken to my family for 22 years. My family is a family of never-ending sentences, no full stops, <laughs> no forgiveness. <laughs> and as I went and laid on their sofa, they said to me, you must join my church. I went along with them just to, because I was grateful to them. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Within three weeks of that, I got a phone call. And my son had come to find me. Oh, can you imagine? I hadn't seen him for 11 years. Can you imagine? I, sh I got in a taxi. I shot all the way up to Sutton. It was a 30-mile drive. I passed the hospital. I'd been locked in. I'm saying, stitch that, Satan. <laughs> I'm going to get Shay. I'm going to get Shay. <laughs> I got to the flat and I walked in and I'm thinking, oh Lord, please give me something to say. What would you say? I wanted to say something profound. I wanted to wrap him in my arms. I wanted to tell him, I'm so sorry, Shay, please forgive me. Do you know what he did? At the age of 16, he walked over to me, he put his arms around me, he said, oh my mum, it must have been so hard for you. Oh my God. Oh, not one bit of anger. He forgave me. Jesus forgave me, my son forgave me, and that was my ministry now. I've come through the door of hope. I've stepped through to the other side and I've got my son. And then the ultimate happened and I married my minister. I'm now the prostitute that married the minister. When God raises you up, does he raise you up? My goodness, then I was ordained myself. My goodness, be careful if you're talking to a prostitute, sweetheart. <laughs> she could be a minister tomorrow. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> because God has a way of doing this. When he says, I make beauty out of ashes, and it was ashes, I didn't deserve any of this. But look what he gave me. When he looked at me on that bench, when I said he saw hope, he did. He didn't read the filth. He didn't say I was disgusting. He read my heart. I had Shay for 18 months and then he was killed. How can these things happen? You'd think if God did it, it'd be forever. I thought I'd never get up again. He went to work and was crushed to death with a forklift truck. 17 years old. It ruptured his heart, that heart. I think of it as that heart that forgave me, you know. I remember going and seeing him in the funeral parlour, identifying him at the hospital. 
unreal, just so unreal. That was my boy. That, that was, I thought I'd got him back. But you know, my Jesus didn't kill him. A forklift truck killed him. My son wanted to be an evangelist. I'm singing his song today as well as Jesus's. My son's story has brought more people to the Lord than I can tell you. I couldn't count them. His story has travelled all over the world. And I think he would be so proud. And although I would give anything to hold him, anything to speak to him, I know that he better keep that room tidy because I'll be up there. And I will dance on the road made of gold with him. I'm still waiting for my daughter. But God hasn't closed the door of hope. And I have seen her. And I have spoken to her. And I have met my grandchildren. Listen, what I want to say to you today is, I know I'm not a very good speaker, but I'm speaking to you from the depths of my heart. My Jesus can sort any problem out. It doesn't matter how ill you are. David was given four days to live when we just got married through cancer of the spine. Yes, it's all happened. We've just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. I prayed for a golden wedding. He's got 25 to serve yet. I'm not letting you off. (laughs) I just, I want to tell you that no matter how black it seems, no matter how hopeless it seems, no matter what's happening in your family with your grandchildren, your children, no matter if it seems like you're never going to get them back, it's not true. It's not true. Look at me, listen to my story. Hope wasn't just put there for Angie Taylor. I'm not the only person that can go through it. We all, it's there for all of us. From one place of pain through the door to a new place. There's nothing Jesus can't do. No marriage he can't mend. No violent man he can't lay down. No unlovable person that he doesn't love there's labels put on people by other human beings God don't read those labels he reads hearts he doesn't read what people say about you he reads hearts I so hope that my stories encouraged you a bit And as I say, you can find the proof of everything if you want to. There's so much I've had to leave out, but there's only a short time. But the crux of my story is, don't leave here today without prayer, please. Don't leave here at all without prayer. And I, I don't think you are, because I'm looking around and I see faces that love the Lord. But if there's anyone here that's sitting on the fence, you can get a splinter in a very nasty place. (laughs) So get off it this morning, eh? (laughs) I'm going to encourage you now to come forward for prayer. 
And I hope, even if you're inhibited and often doing that, you won't be this morning, because I haven't been inhibited. Well, I was inhibited with you. That, that's not quite true. But I did it anyway. <laughs> so I'm going to close there, and I'm going to ask you to come forward for prayer. Thank you. Thank you. As I've been listening, I, I, I feel that we have two distinct groups this morning. Um, and I want to offer opportunity to pray with people who have direct relatives. So um, a spouse or a parent or a child who doesn't know Jesus. Annie, you've been praying for for a long time. Then let's pray more. Let's pray with you this morning. And then second grouping of people who um, really need to respond, as it were, more personally in terms of finding again that love and that light of Jesus and that reality that God actually does know all about us and still chooses to love us. Now, there's a fairly big space at the front. Just about works for most of us, I think. Um, I think we'll just give, let people... I'm not going to say an area in an area there. I just want to just to say, come forward and do business with God. Cry out to him for those that are on your heart. Angie, do you want to say anything else? Don't stay glued to your seats. Because there isn't a problem you can't solve. Now give a chance. Okay. Thank you. Hello. Friends, come forward.